The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO, NorthSouthConnection.com. What's up, Connection Podcast Network listeners? Welcome inside the Wrestling War Zone, a Monday Night Wars podcast retrospective series. I am JT, and joining me as ever is my partner, Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Back from the cruise. Chris Cruz. I can report zero Happy New Year's. <laughs> Very good. I know that was, a, that was an open question, for sure. Yes. Grinny um, on my uh, Facebook wall. It's very, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. All right. Well, that's good. Everything went well? Yeah, it was a good cruise. Three yeah. days is very quick. That was the first. That was the shortest cruise I've been on. It it really does go by in the blink of an eye. Well, you've already been in two in like three weeks, haven't you, or something ridiculous? <laughs> two in two months. It's not <laughs> it feels bad. like. Um. So we had a game night here the other night, mm-hmm. and we were playing cards against humanity, as you do. We had like fourteen people, so it took a while. But um, one of the uh, one of our friends here had had to read the cards, and she. <laughs> She pronounced the card Count Chakula when it should be Count Chocula. <laughs> it was an all-time mispronunciation. Count we were dying. I'm like, it sounded like friggin' Black Panther. I was like, what's this? Count Chakula. Like, it was an all-timer. Like, what are you talking about? Did she, um, uh, was she familiar it's been with in my the head for like days. Yeah, I, I think she was a little buzz going on, maybe, and had been reading uh-huh. cards, count after card, and just kind of brain fart, but it was, it was pretty funny. I, I can relate. I, uh, have a tendency to say the wrong thing so i i can i can respect that dress to the sevens that's one of my more infamous uh miscues in the past (laughs) so we did that and then we played a very quick game of 90s trivial pursuit which i think may be the fastest trivial pursuit game ever i think it was over in like an hour me and my buddy joe won it was just three teams but um yeah so that was the it was a brief game night not not super intricate but it was fun You'll be happy to know I won sports trivia on the cruise. That's my man. So. Did you get the little ship thing? No, they don't have those anymore. They got a little like a uh, medal now. It's like a gold medal, but it has the carnival emblem. But yeah, I procured That's that. Yep. The um, yeah, I remember I got a few of those ships, but I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to the, the ship trivia when. A return. Was it hard questions? Was it like an easy competition? It was pretty was hard. Uh, I mean, luckily it was at least mostly like the big four. Like on the Norwegian cruise, I did the sports trivia, and it was like cricket, obscure yeah. volleyball. Like they asked how many meters is the archery uh, like target away from the players in the right. Olympics. And, I mean, I didn't yeah. know that. That was 70, but 
whatever. Uh, but then they, 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 I mean, it was generally difficult, like name the only team that won two World Series in the 1980s. So you had to kind of do your Rolodex. Who has the most wins and losses in baseball history? What year was the NBA founded? So, Is it Joe Torre most wins and losses? No, uh, pitcher. Oh, oh, oh. I think he's the manager with most wins and losses. Yeah, so it was um, uh, Cy Young. What I would like to do, we had we just ran out of time for this game night. I want to do even like at home with a group like that, like a trivia night type thing, like one of us hosts and just comes up with the rounds and stuff. I think that'd be fun. So I'm gonna do that yeah. soon. But you get an episode. Although I do have, I do, <laughs> I do have spreadsheets full of wrestling trivia from all these different shows we've done. I could I could bust out. <laughs> some people get any any right. Probably none right. Fly in Johnny Sorrow. He can host your uh, game night at the house. I'll fly you in. You're you're the you're my uh, man on the street. To MC. You yeah. run auction drafts and you can empty trivia night. <laughs> right. So, neighbor ended up winning. Um, I think he lost. He lost in the playoffs, but he won the most points and first place uh, in the season. By the way, so I know where. There you that go. You. My team. <laughs> I went five and nine. But I had the third most points overwhelmingly and had the most points against me. I was aggro. It was the most frustrating thing I've ever been part of was that league this year. I was so mad. Didn't, I knew my uh, team was good. And you should have definitely kept Waddle over James yeah. Cook, correct? I don't yeah. think it would have been. Or Connor. Because James in the, Connor. It was Connor. But in the weeks early when I was – I lost like my six of my first seven. And like those weeks, like it was like Waddle didn't – it wouldn't have mattered when I looked okay. back at it. But I do have Garrett Wilson for ten bucks next year, so that's my big my big keeper. It's already locked in. I'm not even looking at anything else. Definitely, when you when you like ejected out, this was my second year doing no fantasy. It's amazing. Like I have no idea who no was clue. like the number no one overall. Yeah, like <laughs> last year you kind of knew just because Cup had such a like unprecedented year, but this year like I couldn't tell you who the top like three or four vote. Uh, Point scores. Were. I think Jefferson was still way up there. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, but oh, we'll see. Either way, that's that. Uh, that's why you're the perfect auctioneer. You don't know anything about it, so you were you were able to be uh, agnostic in there. So, right. Um, all right. So let's start. We do have some solemn news. Um, yeah. I guess not peek behind the curtain, but uh, we're recording this shortly after the news broke that Jay Briscoe passed away. Um, we're we're pre-recording a bunch because we both have travel stuff kind of right. So sure, is what it is. Um. So I, I mean, we're talking about a show from 1996, so <laughs> we don't we don't have to be live, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes. Um. But yeah, so it's it's pretty fresh news. So he he's only 38 years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, father to multiple children, passed away. It looks, I guess, has been confirmed as a car accident. Yeah. Um, I mean, so yeah. I mean, we're recording literally like 40 minutes after it was announced. So. Right. Uh, seems like it's a car accident. We don't have any further details at this point. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those guys, like, you just see everyone on Twitter, like, nothing's, not that you'd be negative, but everything is just, like, super effusive and positive about the guy he was and the type of person he was. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be, like, super intimate with his catalog, but I've seen enough, like, to know he was great. Um, I think you put it well, and you could talk about your comments in a minute on Twitter kind of what he was like an indie stalwart but i mentioned this uh in my tweet that one of my favorite memories is us watching him beat steen at hammerstein yeah WrestleMania 29 weekend super card of honor that was my first ring of honor show first time meeting you damato 
Grant Owen, you know, like we were all hanging out yeah. um, in that little balcony we snuck into. Uh, it was just like an amazing view. First time ever in that building. That match was great. I remember being shocked. Like I, I had heard mm-hmm. of Steam, but not really Jay Briscoe at that point too much. Um, but that is then the stretch of, you know, Ring of Honor that we were really intimate with. Like we watched, um, I recapped regularly for like a year after that. We were doing the Kevin Kelly stuff. So mm-hmm. we were like super dialed in. So I actually saw like his entire entire title run up close because i was following ring of honor in those you know 2013 to 2015 time frame it was like my biggest ring of honor time as a fan so um and i know he's had some great stuff this year you know as recently as this year right left yeah, and all that I so mean, he had my match of the year that was yeah unfortunately his next to last match ever he had a right. house of glory match but um yeah i mean it's super sad obviously and 38 is it's like sickingly yeah. young i mean it's crazy he's that young first of all because he's been around yeah. forever i mean he was in like the first ring of honor show in 2002 right so yeah um and the dude started super young and it's just it sucks it was shitty news it was shitty news yeah i i think um a few things like it it hit pretty hard um i think just because the way he was in the ring and kind of his persona when you see these carefree, like very reckless in the ring, like that's his persona, um, very violent. And some of his matches took a ton of punishment. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, one of the greatest bleeders in wrestling history, like his blade jobs versus Samoa Joe in their cage match in 2004 is. Yep. Amazing, and then uh, when the age of the fall first happened with Jimmy Jacobs with the white jacket, he's bleeding uh, onto Jimmy Jacobs, and even uh, the the first Ring of Honor show I ever saw was at WrestleMania weekend or WrestleMania twenty seven in Atlanta, and the Briscoes had an incredible street fight with the All Night Express. And Rhett Titus was bleeding, and uh, Jay Briscoe, that's where he, like, spit blood into the crowd, and that match, like, stole the show there. Uh, So, I mean, he was just an incredible performer. I think you think about in the past 20 years, like, he started incredibly young. You can watch him in 2000 in ECWA uh, as a 16, 17-year-old. Uh, managed by Hill Kevin Kelly, which is pretty funny. Um, you know, he had something right away. And then the match that him and Mark had at the first best of the best and CCW, that kind of put them on the map. But he's someone that, you know, I was born in 1986. He was born in 1984. Mark was born, I believe, 1985 or 1986. Mm-hmm. And when I first got that first West Side East Coast Connection comp tape that had all of those indie matches that were getting buzz, it was Danielson, it was low key, but it was also the Briscoes that that yeah. Jay versus Mark match was on the first comp and it was incredible. I mean, it still holds up as an incredible match to watch two kids at that time doing mm-hmm. that. And he sustained that throughout his whole career. He's someone that, you know, in my tweet, I talked about he's kind of a maverick in the indie scene, but he's someone that he, uh, he, he brought an updated 
move set into his repertoire like it wasn't like he was dated but his character work and the way he carried himself i think also would have played for sure in a territorial time i mean i definitely think if he would came around in the 80s at the very least he would have been a multi-time regional world champion could have been in yeah. that tommy rich you know that that that's an absolute floor for someone like him mm-hmm. uh it and i mean he certainly had success throughout his career but it's very tragic it shows how fragile life is uh between him i mean he died uh tonight in a car accident and saturday uh, a UGA football lineman, mm. as well as the uh, a recruiter uh, analyst, somebody that helps with that. They both died in a car accident too, literally hours after the national championship celebration. So it's it's been tough, a tough couple of days to really show how fragile life is. And that's like I said, especially with Jay because he seems so carefree. Uh, very reckless, you know, he seemed like indestructible in the way he wrestled a lot of times, like could take so much punishment and it's, it's a human and it's a dad and a brother and a family member and a friend to so many that's now gone. So very tragic. Yeah. It seems like words coming out. Like they, apparently they just mentioned on NXT. It just shows you what he's thought of, right? As, as like to them to break it like live on NXT where he never, what did they have? Yeah. Like, one, didn't they have like one match there or something at one point? Did they bring him in for something earlier? I, I, they were signed, but then with everything going on, I don't believe they right. ever, no. right. yeah. It was something, but they weren't part of the show, right? But they're no. taking the time out. Tony Khan obviously announced it, but they're, they're basically yeah. signed um, with him. So, and you can see it here. It's up on the screen. Producer Tim loading it up, uh, the story on 401 Mania. So uh, just outpouring of support for Jay. Um, yeah, super sad stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's someone that uh, had everywhere he went, he was successful. Like like that, that Ring of Honor match you mentioned where he beat Steve for the title. I didn't expect him to win that match Mm-mm. at all. That was a great upset. I, I'll never forget, like, he... Uh, hit the J driller and yep. it got a nice near fall. And then a couple minutes later he hit it again. And you had that moment where I, I was sitting next to Scott and I turned to him and I just said, he's going to win. <laughs> like it was like this, like you're, you know, this like, Oh, he cannot just hit because that was such a protected finish at the time. It was like, he's not just going to keep hitting this and, Steam is going to kick out. So when he hit it that second time, I was like, I I think my exact quote was, Holy shit, he's winning. And then he got the three. And uh, I know was it known too that went nuts. Was it known that Steen was going to NXT at at that point? Like, was it one of those things where like you knew he was going to lose it at some point, but not sure when? No, I, I don't. I don't think it was known that he was. I mean, I still think he stayed around for a decent right. amount after yeah, that. Yeah, because he doesn't go, I think, till 14. Yeah. I think. Um, so, yeah, shitty news. Um, so, I mean, we'll obviously see more about details as they come out, but um, definitely has shaken shake it up. <laughs> I mean, even, even Iron Sheik's putting him over. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone everywhere. Yeah. Very sad. Um, all right. Well, R.I.P. Jay, one of the greats, no doubt. It's never an easy transition. Um, no. But we're just going to have to do it. So we're going to move over to our topic of the night, 
And that is Monday Night Wars from December 9th, 1996. We're going to kick things off with Monday Nitro, Chad. But any uh, Meltzer news or notes? Uh, some some pretty, uh, not a, I wouldn't say a ton going on. So WWF has announced their partnership with AAA or Triple A. So we were wondering when that was kind of coming down the pike. It has happened. Uh, so that happened this week. I think it's interesting WCW's response to that, where uh, Meltzer writes, Ray Mysterio Jr., Psychosis, and Huvitu Guerrero have all signed contracts with WCW, while Super Colo, La Parca, Volano 4, Halloween, and Damien have all signed letter of intent to sign. Eric Bischoff made a big play to get everyone signed immediately once he realized WWF and AAA were in bed together since most of the aforementioned wrestlers had contracts with uh 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 so there you have it like uh that that's kind of something we talked about like obviously the, right. the luchadors have came in uh, uh-huh. it's been interesting to track on nitro where there's been weeks they haven't been on the show this is one of right. them this is a week where we don't have any luchadors on the show no conan uh as well no k-dog so um you, you can see that kind of happening. A, a funny WCW note where uh, Hogan is now on the road selling Thunder Mixers, which are really cheap blenders. While on the road, he still does the Three Demandments gimmick. He says he hasn't changed, but wears NWO gimmicks and explains his deal by saying he got tired of all the politics and the That's big funny. pro wrestling organizations and decided to form his own company. So there you go. And the uh, was the Foreman Grill out yet? That was the thing, right? By this far, no. When yeah, start? I, I think Pasta Mania and Foreman Grill have all have happened, but uh, okay. somebody made. Well, yeah, Pasta Mania right definitely. That was '95. Yeah, that was with 95. the first Nitro. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, first weekend of ticket sales for Starcade after the little snafu with Ticketmaster, uh, they had six thousand five hundred eighty-two tickets sold for ninety-six thousand eight hundred twenty-two. So only about 1,300 tickets left. It was a record advance for the Nashville market. So that's one of those weird things. It's already worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird thing where it seems like, like, oh, okay. Like you see 6,000 nowadays when you see like when Nitro or when uh, WrestleMania and stuff goes on sale and you think, oh, that's not that much. But yeah, I mean, it was a record gate for the market at the time. So beneficial. Uh, that was all I had on WCW. We got a couple of WWF tidbits. I'll start. Uh, I can go right before Raw, um, okay. but we are in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the uh, Auditorium Independence Arena. I think is what it's called. Anyway, it's where Starcade '93 is. Uh, same opening as before, as usual. And as soon as we come in, we get the pyro and Roddy Piper's music is firing yeah, off. Waste no time. Waste no time. Yeah. And so this show, again, like you need to track what's going on now on Raw when stuff's happening on Nitro. So as we'll get to, Raw opens up with kind of Sid, their world champion. So Nitro counteracts that. Uh, Only other big occurrence on Raw pretty much is Mankind versus Undertaker. And as you can see with Nitro, they also have a big uh, counteraction for that to end the yep. first hour. So definitely going against it. 
Uh, but Piper's music starts up. Huge cheer. Uh, he has a Carolina Panther shirt on. Piper says it's nice to be home. He talks about living in the Days Inn in Charlotte before it was pretty. Uh, he says he's still humble that they cheer for him. He says the last time they saw him, the NWO was pounding on his knee. He kind of jumps around on the knee to show that it's healthy now. He's going to tell us some stuff that no one will tell you. He starts with Starcade. Roddy says he has six kids. He has to win this fight. Then he goes off on this kind of weird tangent, but I guess it was interesting where he talks about boxing Mr. T. Mm. Uh, he was told to make a dive, and it was the most shameful thing he's done. Uh, he says you'll never guess who it was that told him to take the dive and talks about how he had to pull his punches and all this so the actor wouldn't get beat up and whatnot. He says he'll never take a dive again, and he'll be damned if he takes a dive for anybody else anywhere. Uh, Piper then points out somebody in the crowd that has a this is NWO country sign. He says he has nothing against NWO. He's not with WCW or NWO. He's Roddy Piper. He talks about the promo that the NWO did at one point with all six of them in leather and not one woman. And then he kind of does this, you know, so insinuating something there. He's sick and tired of hearing about Hogan. He calls out Hogan right there, right now. He wants to get it on tonight since they're both in the arena. Uh, He says he's going to be an underdog in their match at Starcade, and he'll be the uh, Evander Holyfield of this fight and what doesn't kill him makes him stronger and he's feeling awfully powerful. So I, I thought this was another strong Piper mm-hmm. promo. I mean, it wasn't uh, that long again. So I think that's again, the best thing that can go for him. Like yeah, the Mr. Rambling. Yeah. The Mr. T stuff was a little weird, a little out of left field, but it kind of came around that, you know, he's not going to lay down mm-hmm. for Hogan or play politics or whatever. So I get that. And again, it was seven or eight minutes. It sets up the rest of the show that he's looking for a fight. And I found this another effective Roddy Piper promo. Were you getting the insinuation that he meant Hogan told him to lay down? Because I think the I think you would think the first bet is Vince, but I think Vince, when you think about yeah. it, I think it was Hogan. I think that's what he's saying is that Hogan is a guy that would kind of give this career advice, like, look, it's best for your career to lay down, do the dive. And in Piper's mind saying, well, he wanted me to job and look stupid, right? I, they don't get to mm-hmm. it, but I, the more I thought about it, I'm like, I think that's what he was trying to say is that Hogan told me, oh, you should lay down. It's good for business. It's good his for friend. Bit you know, whatever. So Piper did it because that would make more sense to me than Vince. Cause Vince, I mean, he's not ranting about Dota yet at all in any of this. So. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, but that's true. That could be the case. I mean, the way he said, like, you'll never guess who was a little weird. I couldn't really gather if he was being facetious or not. Sometimes it's kind of tough to, uh, kind of is he, he can be a little elusive and what he means with that. Right. But, yeah, could have very well been Hogan, the way he was talking. He also mentioned, well, Tony mentions the Panthers beat the Niners yesterday to clinch a playoff spot. So I mean, this was their big surprise year. They're only two years in, uh, and they end up making, them and Jackson will make the playoffs, I think, the same year. and um, Make the conference it. championship. Right, they both make they? the title games, yeah. yeah. So that was like a big deal at the time. 
the uh he also said when he lived in the days in he had a lengthy rap sheet so that was funny uh he said you know the nwo acts like i'm supposed to be a gimp and be ashamed but it didn't stop bo jackson i thought that was a good line basically they both have messed up hips but they're supposed yep. to be gimps but they're still battling and yeah he, he named drafts the panthers a couple times which i thought was pretty good you know he says holy feel he also says i'm an underdog like the panthers are basically in this season so he's been great i, I mean this is some of the best piper stuff since 86 i think um I'm not the biggest fan. We talked about this of his face 30F stuff. Kind of is is what it is. He can, you know, the early stuff in 96 we saw was fine. Some of it gold us, but again, he can go off the reservation quickly. But they've really kept him in line. And the hype for this match has been great. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, it's it's fresh in the world of WCW and even in wrestling. Like Hogan and Piper hadn't crossed paths in a decade. So it's not like they just feuded in WWF and they came here and continued the feud. Right? Like Hogan and Savage kind of was that way. Like they had really been kind of feuding on and off into 1990 and then they were right back at it in 90 end of 94 and wcw they're together again so there wasn't that gap and we had seen them fight a hundred times right but hogan and piper they really just had those matches in 85 and like that was it so like it's not like they've gone back to it over and over so it's it's like something a whole generation of fans didn't really see and another generation of fans was the nostalgia right so it's like it's something they'd really be into, probably. If, if you're an older, maybe lapsed fan, you're flipping around, you see yeah. Hogan and Piper. It's like, oh, shit. Like, I remember watching that on MTV or whatever. So um, I think it's a shrewd feud. And the good thing with WCW, and this will be the case for a while, they could kind of take the risk and put these kind of matches on top. Now, this isn't a dream match, but work-wise, because they're so loaded on their undercard mm-hmm. with all these other great wrestlers that they could yeah. kind of say, okay, we know we're going to get two or three great matches on the undercard anyway. So if we needed to, we can roll out a match that maybe, maybe peak at two and a half stars in the ring, right? But whatever, it's such a big draw and big names and excitement that we'll carry for the work rate guys. We'll carry the bottom underneath them. So, right. Uh, that kind of transitions. I figured we'd go to break, but we don't. As uh, Piper's music fades out and Mike Enos's music fades in. Uh, funny line here where Tony says, "You're watching a real man's man." And then Larry says, yeah, there aren't too many of us left. I was going to get himself in there. Yeah, put himself over there. Uh, it's Mike Enos versus M. Wall Street. This is nothing. Like This is a minute match. Crowd doesn't know who to cheer for. Uh, Enos gets a couple of arm drags. Tony lets us know Kevin Green and some other Panthers are in the house. And then for the first time in a few weeks, Ted DiBiase strolls out. Uh, literally like a minute into the match. So he strolls out to ringside. Enos is kind of distracted at this. Um, so he has a, Ted has a contract in his hand and Enos is looking at it. And then Wall Street comes up from behind, gives him the stock market crash, which is a terrible name for what the move is. Uh, so uh, Wall Street ends up winning and Ted ends up handing the, contract to wall street wall street kind of looks at it smiles and basically kind of stuffs it away and ted laughs gives his ha ha as he retreats to the back so money inc rides again i mean as a, as a match this is a half star um yeah but uh an interesting this was an interesting development i i, I knew this moment was coming soon uh, and I didn't know. Oh, I, I did. I should mention that. You know, we talked about when is NWO Nitro ever coming? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Dave does have a quick note for that. He says NWO Nitro is slated to start either twelve sixteen or twelve twenty three. The holdup is because they haven't finished the graphics package yet. So they kind of keep pushing it out, but you can see they keep accumulating bodies. Like now we got Wall Street. We had Bagwell. Uh, they do a angle live for this audience that airs on the weekend. Uh, we'll see if we see it on the next Nitro, but it involves Scott Norton. We know Chono's coming in. So, I mean, they're definitely accumulating bodies now at a rapid clip. Yeah. I think Wall Street's easily the lamest of the members. And like we've talked about with Vincent, at least he's being presented as a complete, right. you know, lackey. Uh, I mean, Wall Street certainly has history with DiBiase, so you have that. But when you're trying to present this group as outsiders and cutting edge and, you know, even with Hogan, you can at least buy that because he's larger than life. Or, you know, like even, you know, it's a big joke that his ego so inflated he doesn't realize it. Mm -hmm. uh, Wall Street just doesn't fit at all. No. So... It, it kind of sucks. I mean, I think there's way more better options they could have went with. I mean, even Enos, like, I would have even took an amp because you could have said, like, oh, yeah, I mean, they could have oh, been yeah, he's out. young, said, yeah. yeah. He's I'm a Beverly brother, you know. They could have always said, like, hey, I remember you a few years ago in a tag team you with some genius, and I saw you had potential. I mean, you could have done something. Right. Or just um, say he's an interesting guy that yeah he's sure, a big prospect. dude and you know yep. he's a prospect like yep. I'm way more interested in him than than Wall Street at this point yeah. like yeah the match I'm with you it's it's a half star it was it was nothing um Dibiase with him I, mean, I guess is a cool nut wink wink nod nod I don't know if that's why they did it, it was just like yeah. oh well they're buddies from I think they're trying almost too hard now to make those connections when it's just like whatever. Yeah. Bagwell jumping was fine, right? Like he didn't have to have a connection to anyone. We don't, yeah. we don't need to recruit Wall Street because he's Dibiase's boy. It's unless right. you know, whatever. They just liked him as a guy and wanted to give him a chance. But um, the, uh, yeah, I just whatever. Larry says Wall Street doesn't need the money. It's, he's always into like these weird things with stuff like that. Like, well, all right, is he really rich? Like whatever. <laughs> Wall Street's <laughs> known for his riches, you know. But whatever. Yeah, I mean accountants. You know, he's an IRS. He's a well, I don't think he's supposed to be an accountant in WCW, right? He's like a Wall well, Street, like a stock market guru. I mean, so yeah, I guess the, the idea is that he's rich from like the stock stock market. market. Okay, it's just it's a little wild. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, we see some clips from WCW Saturday Night. We saw Benoit and Woman are enjoying a nice dinner. Uh, we learn later it's from Germany. Uh, but uh, she says that, you know, Kevin won't be able to find them. That same stuff. Like, I warned you in Baltimore that if you kicked him one more time, that was it for us. He did. So there you go. Ben Wall says you talk about kicking some sense into him. He needs some sense knocked into him. The best chess player in the game. My bishop takes your queen checkmate as they uh, do the, you know, interlooping wine. Right. Uh, drinking, yeah, so it was what it was. Yeah, and Sullivan was shook, um, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Hart, when they cut back to WCW Saturday night where Tony was giving the interview, and Jimmy's like, Let's let's, let's get out of here, Kevin. And they scurry yeah, away. It's such a weird feud, too, at this point because, like, who's even the face? Like, it's personal, it's intense. Yep. The horsemen are kind of faces, we know the dungeon's not, but. 
they're doing it in a way that makes us feel like, um, you know, makes us feel like he's a, like we should feel bad for Sullivan, like mm-hmm. the way where Benoit's talking and everything. And Sullivan looks shook and he's shaken up. And like, that's, that's not something like heel does. But then Benoit's saying stuff that's kind of like, it's not 1950. Women have a say. It's 1996. She can do what she wants. Like the pinning Sullivan, like being a domineering husband or whatever, he, you know, like, so. It's getting weird. It's just, it's getting weirder. So yeah, it's too, it's like two in the weeds now. And then just, it's impossible to detach it from real life. It's, it is, is right. So yep. like that just makes it worse. Like knowing like, okay, like this, yep. the angle's not even that fucking great. And, and like, this is where it's going to go is, you know, they end up together, destroys their marriage and ends up yeah. destroying a bunch of lives. Like, it's just like the whole thing is messed up. It's bad. It's yeah. tough to watch. Uh, so then that leads to a match. Uh, Hugh Morris versus Renegade. Very random match. Um, all right, uh, Morris pounds away, laughs. Joe Gomez is out with the Renegade. Tony kind of fills the time talking about the history of Starcade and Roddy Piper being there. Yeah. Larry says, "Well, hey, if Hogan wins, they may never be another Starcade because you know the NWO will take over and whatnot." Right. Uh, I will say this about Renegade: actually, has a nice little flurry of offense here, where he gets yeah. a good-looking power slam, does the handspring elbow. I mean, that's something they just don't care uh, on commentary though it's all no i mean this i mean this is a throwaway match this is your duggan in wall street match uh he goes for the bulldog more back suplexes him and then gets the no laughing matter for a win so like i said I, I mean it was honestly probably a little more spunky than i thought when they came out there but i want to start in three quarters i mean it wasn't like it was a good match i just want to start i mean renegade's spinning his wheels just express lane stuff it's just you mentioned it before. Like we don't get any of the the Luchador guys or the cruisers really this week, so we just we're stuck with this like, you know, Saturday Night Crew rolling out here match after match, and they're up against Raw right now. So I know they programmed against the Open. Raw's not that bad, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like do we really want to tank this this badly? It's not like it's a layoff, but it's like it shows what they think of a uh, real Double J and Hawk Bradshaw. Yeah, I guess but they don't care. I mean, there's gonna be something else we can do. Show a high, a show replays of last week or something <laughs> better than this. It's just t- two tough matches, and we talked about it quite a bit. It's like they have this huge roster, and I thought we were past this. I thought we were finally getting better undercards on Nitro, but it seems like we're back to where we were. It was like July, August, where we'd get some of these stupid matches out there. They miss, they're missing a lot of guys on the show. Um, well, there's a Germany tour too, right? Because they say it, they say um, the Benoit and women are in Germany. So I don't know if, were they on tour with WCW or was it like they were doing an international tour somewhere else but oh i don't think i don't think they were there because it is a light roster on the card so there's a chance yeah there's no there's no luchadors um but even like weird stuff like um yeah i mean dave says there were no house shows this past week so i don't know i don't know what was going on like you had no regal you had no no luchadors, which we talked about. Giant is out for literally two minutes right at the very end. No Sting, no Hogan, which we'll get to. It's 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 no uh, no Luger, right? So it's it's one of our least star-studded shows, I would say, in a while. Yeah. I kind of replaced it with Kevin Green and Flair. It's it's maybe they figure if Flair and Piper is enough on this Flair, one. Flair Piper, you know? yeah, Kevin Green. Uh, so Sullivan comes stomping out. He's wearing a four horseman shirt, but there's an X's on the face of Benoit in the uh, four horseman logo. 
And then he gets on the microphone and says, you know, this is uh this he understands this is a rating game. You're doing everything to get ratings. That video wasn't sent to WCW though, it was sent to me. Why don't you have the common courtesy to ask if you can show that? He calls Tony a pawn trying to get ratings. And the next thing time you have something, you know, to sh- show it to run it by me first. At one point, he asked Larry, he's like, I know you agree with me. I, again, kind of some odd odd stuff going on here. Uh, Sullivan's delivery is always a little wonky. Yeah. Yeah, this is weird. Again, it's, just, it's a lot of time dedicated to this right now. Um, you know, he says he has a personal life. He's got things he does outside the ring, and that video affected someone in his life badly. So I, I don't, again, it's, it's, it's hard to really bite into the storyline right now. It's convoluted. There's no clear face heel line. Half of it's shrouded in insider mystery. It, it's kind of like we don't, like we still never really said when it's all everyone were together. Like it's just being hinted at. It's just, it's way too deep of a concept right now for everything else we got going on. WCW is so in your face. This seems like so out of place overall. And like, why are we suddenly after all these years, supposed to be sympathetic to Kevin Sullivan? Like it's not like we didn't, mm-hmm. and he didn't even have a reason to do it. Like nothing happened really to make us start to feel bad for him other than this shit. So it's like, right. He spent most of the year trying to kill Hogan, you know, now, now we're supposed to like be feel bad for him, but I thought the horsemen were kind of faces. I mean, Flair's acting like a face. Like, so it's like, what are we doing? Like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't none of it makes any sense. I mean, I guess at least the horsemen are kind of giving Benoit shit a little bit about it. So like mm-hmm. you told me they're annoyed that this is still going on. So at least that's something, but yeah, it's not like super intriguing to me. Pretty quick video package of Sting airs. Basically, just shows them the past few months uh, coming out of the crowd. It's it has some graphics. The music's fine. I, I thought this was fine. Nothing yeah. major. Uh, then we get a Mean Gene interview with Kevin Green. I love Kevin Green's promos. Uh, he calls Mongo a foe. Says they're going to accomplish kicking a bunch of ass. Talking about him and the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stills burns him about Mongo, and he will have his say one day. So I mean, nobody does long term booking like Kevin Green. Like, right, he's ready to actually, go. He's... And actually works. Like they fight six months from now. So he says, he's like, like in the off season. season. Yeah, yeah, so it works. Uh, he says the Panthers are on a roll. They've surprised some people, and the 49ers know what he's talking about. Huge pop from the crowd for that. He says the NWO is a bunch of crap, and if he gets a shot at Hulk Hogan, he's going to rename him Choking Hogan <laughs> because he's going to be choking with his fist that's halfway down his throat. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, Green's all energy like usual, yeah. but uh, it is, it's infectious. It's fun to watch. I like it. I always like when he shows up. I'm looking forward to him having his little run in the spring. Um, yeah. He's always, and, and he's one of the guys that took us seriously. Like, he really loved um, pro wrestling and shows. You could tell he's happy to be there for sure. Yeah. Uh, next cruiserweight title match Jimmy Graffiti versus Dean Malenko. Uh, this is our swan song to Jimmy Graffiti. Last time we'll ever see him. I know he's been kind of a, a uh, underrated favorite of us uh so sad to see him go uh larry of course is crapping on the panthers he says they lucked out and won a couple games i i thought this was an interesting match where Mm -hmm. they really give graffiti a lot of offense it was shocking they they go to break with dean in control of a short arm clothesline Uh, we get the outsider shirt shield uh but then we come back and they're they're doing uh, a lot of 
back and forth punches. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's more of a fight. Sony Ono's out there taking pictures. Uh, he, the crowd, uh, the camera goes up to Ono. He says Malenko's so stupid he has no chance against Dragon now. Uh, back suplex by Graffiti, Grunt Rich. Um, and then when they go to the outside, they had a really good sequence where Dean goes for a baseball slide. Graffiti gets out of the way, short arm, uh, clothesline Dean, and then stun guns him on the railing. That looked really hard and tough. And then uh, we get a superplex back on the inside, but Graffiti comes back from that. It's a power bomb. They do a series of pin attempts, and then I, I like the finish, too, where Graffiti comes back again, hits a stun gun inside the ring, is going for a suplex, and Malenko rolls through for the pinfall to gain the win. So showing he's resourceful. Um, I mean, maybe I, I can understand you might have a critique that a little bit too much offense for Graffiti, considering Dean has this big match with Ultimo Dragon in a couple of weeks, but I, I thought as a match, it was a lot of fun. Sad to see Graffiti go again. Like, I think he's been a fun uh, mid-carter that you can plug in. Uh, I think he could have been a good addition to the Cruiserweight roster going forward. And so overall, I, I enjoyed this match. It was more physical and definitely went in a different direction than I anticipated coming in. So I went three stars. Yeah, I'm with you. I went three stars as well. Um, it was a lot of fun. We've been up on graffiti since he's been here for sure. Like I, I, well, I want to see more of him. Um, I don't know if he ends up getting hurt or is deciding not to use him as much or he at got all. Hurt. Yeah, yeah, it sucks because he's um, he's been a lot of fun. He's like the perfect dude to roll out on nitro for these eight to nine minute matches He's a professional. He can serve as a base. He can bounce around. Um, he's got a cool little look. So yeah, he was a nice addition here for sure. Tony mentioned the clash of champions is back in January. We're into our final, final year of the clash coming up. This is it. Our last two, which is kind of sad overall. The uh, superplex from Dean looked really good. Uh, the sunset flip into the sun gun was good. And then the finish with the inside cradle, I thought was kind of neat. It was a low key banger. I mean, graffiti can go. He's a perfect guy for TV. Like I said, Malenko did his usual. He observed a lot of offense until he found a gap and then uh, snuck out the win. So uh, some really good comeback cutoffs by graffiti in there as well. Yeah. Three stars. It was best match easily tonight for sure. So far. Uh, ono does a quick interview with Gene. He loses his Japanese uh, accent right away. And Gene calls him out on it. He calls him a scam artist from the sushi bar. <laughs> so, of course, of course. Uh, ono says he speaks with a little accento because he gets free education and free housing from our country. Ultimo would destroy Malenko, who has belt envy. Gene says, you know what you can do with that camera? I'll tell you later. So, some, some back and forth there. But, I mean, Ono's a, I mean, it's a bad stereotype character. So not great. It's, yeah, him faking it now. Why are we doing this? Like, what's the point? Like, he's already been presented as a heel well enough. Like, we don't need it now that he's a scam artist and faking right. accents to get benefits. Like, it's stupid. Uh, WCW Saturday night, our lineup this weekend Jim Duggan, Renegade, Joe Gomez, Jeff Jarrett, Dallas Page, Ice Train, Dean Malenko, and for the TV title, Lord Steven Regal versus Hugh Morris. So. Not bad, not great. 
then our kind of main event for the first hour of Nitro is the Nasty Boys versus the Faces of Fear. We see a lot of clips from that triangle match at uh, World War III. And then uh, we get a big brawl to start. We get the split screen, pretty chaotic action. I, I thought I thought it looked pretty good. You know, kind of that classic sloppy, nasties type brawl. Uh, then the crowd erupts as the outsiders are on the entranceway with their belts. Uh, nasties at this point are double teaming Ming, doing the uh, make a wish to him. Uh, but uh, Sags comes back with a power slam. Chair gets used on the outside on top of Sags from the Faces of Fear and some clubbing blows by Ming. Faces of Fear on offense are just very violent. Uh, big boot by Barbarian on the outside looks nasty. He goes up top and misses a dive. Uh, and then we get another, you know, Pier 6 brawl where Jimmy Hart's on the apron. He tries to hit... Uh, uh, the megaphone shot off the top rope, but ends up hitting Bar by Barbarian by accident. Knobs uh, has Hart by the tie and throws him from the ring to the outside on top of Ming, and that allows Barbarian to hit Knobs with the big boot that we actually missed on camera in the faces of fair win. Um, a couple couple things on this. I, I mentioned it in the last match that Jimmy Graffiti got too much offense, maybe on Malenko, mm-hmm. but I gave that a pass. I was less forgiving in this match. I mean, I do think it was a kind of cool, sloppy brawl. But with the outsiders looking on, I thought that the Faces of Fear at points looked a little too weak versus the Nasty yeah. Boys. And and even in this match, like, Knobs gets a visual pin and referee Scott Dickerson's out of position. I thought that was a bit much where the Nasty Boys should not be getting bailed out uh, based on kind of, um, or the face of fear shouldn't be getting bailed out based on interference and Jimmy Hart no. and all this. But they, but they, the, the crazy title. thing is they, they always look strong. Like why this week are we not making them look strong? If you don't yeah. want the nastiest a job, just have them beat some other, we got a million teams you get there out there and put together, bring the rock and roll express back, <laughs> like whatever, like give yeah. me someone that they can just wipe, wipe up, you know, like why this week of all weeks are we having them go 50, 50, um, I'm shocked the nasties are still around. Like I, I, I cannot believe we're this late into '96 and we're still here. I know there's like rumors in '97 that they go to they're going to come back to WWF. Like that was all over the hotlines and everything else. But I, I just thought they were gone and those rumors are out there. I didn't think they were still like actively in the tag division with the outside. Like it just seems like it just yeah. seems like two weird times, you know, hitting up against each other. It's like when Haku is there for the invasion in 2001. Uh, that's like another one of those weird ones where he's like in the back and like Freddie Blassie's rallying the WF guys and like Haku is standing there with the big Ming hair. Like it's like it was those odd things where you don't realize a guy's still like just part of action. Like the Nasties being this deep into the NWO um, was surprising to me. The so yeah, the finish was kind of silly with Jimmy kind of hitting him by accident. Uh, I liked it as a trash brawl though. Like if you mm-hmm. take away the how they present to the faces of fear. Like there's a lot of good strikes, hard shots. Uh, the fiasco feel was a face of fear going towards star cave of the Nazis look, look good in it too. Um, you know, you and I have been kind of marks for the tag division all through nitro so far Yep. with like the, it, they don't do a lot of formula matches. It's either a brawl or kind of multiple heat segments. Like they're all over the place, which is cool. Uh, so I ended up going three stars. Like I actually liked the match uh-huh. as a brawl and a fight. Um, I just, again, the booking of the face of fear could left, left to be desired, but the match itself, I, I really dug. Yeah, it was two and a half. I mean, I thought it was good just for what it was. 
booking I just thought was off. Uh, Big Flair interview. This is kind of our capper to hour one. So he gets a huge response. Talks about the Carolina Panthers. Then he requests Roddy Piper's presence. Piper's music flares up, uh, fires up. Out he comes. He hugs Ric Flair. Flair says, at a time when I sit in my home week after week and hear the word icon being passed around so easily, let me assure you that every phase of the wrestling world, this man is truly an icon to the sport of professional wrestling. Piper came to Charlotte in 1981 in a Greyhound bus. Three weeks later, there was women everywhere calling him <laughs> Hot Rod. Gene cracks up at that. I mean, he's loving it, eating it up. Uh, now he has a home next to uh, Phil Knight, the owner of Nike in Oregon. Says it takes him two days to walk to his front door. Uh, and then, uh, well, he, then says, he says, he says God, yeah. you might be saying what I'm about to say. What, Beaver Town? Yeah, he lives in Beaverton, round? and yeah. Gene, like, chuckles at Flair, says Beaverton. Yeah, he said, well, you said Beavertown, Gene says. <laughs> uh, Flair says, uh, look me in the eye, and says he's taking it upon himself to challenge Hulk Hogan. What do we think of Hogan in this town? He sucks. So big boos for Hogan for that. Flair says this is hard to do. Hogan came to WCW two years ago. It was up to Flair to carry the team ball, and he fumbled. Hogan was the better man that night, and Flair walked away. He's embarrassed to this day, and it still haunts him. Flair says Piper is here to rectify the situation. Flair says we all get old, but only you and I will get great. And that there's Tayona Charlotte, the Horseman, WCW, whatever he needs will be by his side in Nashville. He struts and then says he wants to see you kick Hogan's ass. I mean, just... uh, I mean, a, another great all-time flair promo that uh-huh. may be the best promo that a lot of wrestlers have ever had in their life, and it's just one. It's probably like you his 200th best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, might make his top 100. Like, But, I mean, just a great promo. I mean, certainly one I didn't remember, but then when I watched it, Completely I Completely forgot like, wow, the time. Yeah, Great, yeah. great. Just a great, great promo. Uh, Piper comes back, says they don't come no finer than Flair, and he was actually in his gym that day. And as far as the horseman, this is his last shot, and he must do it alone. If he doesn't do it by himself, he can't live with himself. Uh, so he appreciates all the offers and doesn't want this to come across in vain, but he's going to do it alone. And then him and Flair kind of walk arm in arm as we head to break. So, I mean, a, a great, great segment, I thought. Flair, uh, it's it's been an interesting build. I will say this this match. Um, I didn't remember a lot of the Hogan versus Piper build past the contract, mm-hmm. and I think this is why because Hogan's not here. Like I don't. Right. It's it's very weird. Hogan's missed three weeks in a row, and he was on a lot before this. Yeah, he kept posing all his nitros. Remember he posed. Oh yeah, and, like they'd yeah, wrap he up did his pose down. So it, it's yeah, it's it's very strange. Um, but in a way, is it smart? Because it's like both guys are so good at talking that they can kind of stagger them, not have to come up with ways to have them interact without touching. And like they had they did have a lot of TV to build from Halloween Havoc to Starcade to fill yeah. with this feud. So, I mean, they were able to ghost Piper for a month. Right. But with the Bischoff stuff, yeah. masking it. And now Hogan's maybe kind of dodging them. I'll be curious if the last two weeks going in, they heated up with both of them on. Um, but. I don't know. I think it might be shrewd because they got so much else going on and each of these guys can talk in the building without having direct contact. So 
One thing I like that shows the magnitude of the match, though, is you're also getting these big promos from all these other guys, too, like Arn last mm-hmm. week, Flair this week. Right. So that really helps the gravity of the situation. Like, it feels like a big match for sure. Yeah, it was a great promo. Um, it was super well. Obviously, Flair and Charlotte's going to be on fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, Piper's yucking it up. Gene's in with the boys. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's what you'd expect with these three guys. Like, they probably went right to the bar right after the show. Um, <laughs> different Beaver Town happened in the hotel room for sure. Um, but I would say, I don't know if we talked about this, but is this the biggest match we've done? Uh, in this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, this, we talked about it a little bit. Man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think we talked about it. I, I, you know, we've actually talked about like this or Hogan Andre, like what was yeah, a yeah. bigger match. So, I mean, I, I, I think this is easily the biggest match in wrestling that you can point to yeah. since <sighs> Hogan Warrior. Yeah. That was in my mind. I mean, because Hogan, I, I don't Maybe think Flair Hogan. Hogan was what I was thinking of at Bash yeah. at the Beach, but I, I don't think I just think you maybe if you were casual, but I think this beats that. Um, yeah, I think it's the biggest since Flair. I mean, Hogan Warrior, and I think you can make an easy argument it's the biggest since Hulk Andre, actually. Yeah, so definitely the biggest of ours run. I would put the Iron Man and then, um, Bash of the Beach probably is the next two that we've done, two biggest. Yep. So, so. all right. Uh, our two starts off. We've been talking about this transition with Tony now being mm-hmm. the lead announcer for both hours. They get it right. This is the third week they've done it. So they just come back from break. Our two starts off. Tony's already had an announced booth with Bobby and Tanae. Works good. Uh, Bobby gives a couple of thoughts on the Piper versus Hogan match. He says he never thought he'd say this, but he hopes Hogan, I mean, Piper beats Hogan's butt at uh, Starcade. So that works out well. And then uh, we get our first match of the second hour, which is Chris Jericho versus Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton has some weird, very weird music uh, that I didn't quite understand. Uh, while he's coming, it might have been a dub. It could have been. It was just, it sounded odd. Uh, as he's coming down, they're still talking about Piper versus Hogan. So uh, Eaton clotheslines Jericho down. He hits the top rope knee like right away. Uh, Bobby Heenan on commentary talks about how he was at a party with Wade Boggs, and Wade Boggs <laughs> assured him he either had to be there live or order the pay per view. He's fired up. Fired up for Stockade. He's ready. Uh, then we get some pre-recorded comments from Chris Jericho. He says, everyone's talking about the NWO and the hostile takeover. The history of WCW will prevail. He showed everyone what Nick Patrick was made of. And when the time comes, he's going to give him some more. Uh, Jericho looks pretty good. I thought in this match, he gets a good vertical suplex and a line salt and then hits the missile drop kick for the win. So a, a short match showcase for Jericho. I mean, I'm a I'm a body guy, so I like him as a base, and I thought he was able to hit his top rope knee here. So I appreciated this for what it was. I went two and a quarter. Yeah, two for me. Uh, this is actually a rematch. They fought on October 21st. I think that one was a little bit better. Um, it was too short to get popping, but it was good while it lasted. I mean, it was definitely fun. I, I would rather have dumped one of those matches earlier. I, I get we got to keep Wall Street because of the angle, but we got to dump the other one. Um, 
and just give this an extra like four minutes or something and it would have been much uh probably much better for the card eaton's good for this stuff too right like we talked about jimmy graffiti like keeping eating around i know it's tough to see him but it's like you know modern day kind of sd jones type guy right like just a guy yeah. that was a name tito Tony Gurria. Like late, yeah Gurria, late era tito like 92 93 tito like something like that yeah. right he's just He's name value, but he's such a good worker that he's going to still put on pretty good matches, and it means something still when you beat him. So it's like it's good to have those guys around. Yeah. Uh, an, uh, an angle I'm getting a little tired of the Steiners. <laughs> they're they're back. Uh, we get a video package of everything going on with them, and then uh, we get an interview with the Steiners. Rick doesn't know where Sting is. He could be in the rafter right now. We're waiting for a message, Sting. What's next? And then it just kind of ends. Like, it's it's a weird, mm-hmm. sort of a weird interview where it just sort of ends abruptly. We get nothing of Sting. I mean, this is the first it, week it in felt a while like maybe, we don't want to stay. Right. It felt like maybe it was a we're tight on time kind of thing. Like, they got the wrap-up signal quick because one thing we know with Piper and Flair even if those promos didn't seem long, they probably went over time. Both guys, I'm guessing, during those segments, yeah. so they're probably running a little behind now at this point. Yeah, that's true too. Although we have another thing coming up in a minute. That's like, do we need a third segment of? <laughs> so we'll see. But uh, a quick uh, Luger video package to his music. So again, they're kind of even though him and Sting aren't on the show tonight, they're keeping them in the back of your mind. right. That's all that is. Uh, Craig Pittman <laughs> kind of dusts off the mothballs and comes out. Yeah. Oh, boy. With the Morse code, he's facing Arn Anderson. We learn uh, Lex Luger versus the Giant has been signed at Starcade. Uh, then we get another weird Sullivan promo as mm. this match starts from backstage uh, a callous Sullivan promo where he basically tells Arn there'll be nothing left for you but uh I blame you on Anderson Sullivan <laughs> uh, was on the show a lot uh so mm-hmm. way too much yeah, it feels does. like it's like a 1995 show with him <laughs> with how much he's been on it's like ridiculous um he- heavy dose of the taskmaster tonight uh, Pitbull is like actually beating up Arn pretty good as we head back from break. He gets a cross arm breaker, but Arn's able to make the ropes. And then uh, they spilled it outside, and Deborah's kind of in the way, and Pitbull's like waving her off. <laughs> and when that happens, Mongo has the Halliburton, hits Pitbull in the stomach with it, rolls him back in. Uh, and Orn gets the DDT to quickly dispose of Craig Pittman. So uh, a star and a quarter for that. I went to, um, didn't they fight recently too? Wasn't there a match you really liked with them or was it on uh, someone else? I feel like there's another Orn match that you were like high on and I thought was, oh, maybe it was Orn and Lex I'm thinking of. Oh um, yeah, Orn and Lex another... I like. That was a lot of good yeah. psychology. This was not. It's another Orn grinder. Just kind of works through the leg a bit. Um, Whatever. I mean, the Mongo in the finish was good. Kind of slow. Still shows the horsemen working together. I think um, the Sullivan stuff, again, is just too much. We do get the note that uh, Teddy Long is no longer with Pittman from Tony. So I don't know if they're transitioning Teddy off because we haven't seen him with Jericho either. He's part of the Nick Patrick thing. And then mm-hmm. now he's not with um, Pittman. We haven't seen Ice Train in a while. So I don't I don't know when Teddy goes back to WF. I know he's there at my 99. 
98. Well, he was with Powers what last week, so yeah, he's still he's still, he's still banging around. Yeah, I want to say he's definitely in Dirty by '99 as a ref. I, I don't remember if it was before that or not, so we might still have him for a while. Uh, I went to it was just a, a typical Arn grinder. Pittman with the stash was quite the look, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, promo with Arn. He says Flair's here, Mongo's here, he's here, but Benoit's in Germany with woman. If love isn't in the air, it sure does stick. If love is in the air, it sure does stick. Uh, is it all my fault? Which I, I don't understand this. Like, why? Right. What could Orn be blaming himself about? Maybe bringing Benoit into the feud with the dungeon and Sullivan and all that. And, like, introducing him to woman. I mean, again, it's so layered. It's hard to know what they're talking about. Is it, like, Arn knows Deborah? I mean, um, knows woman from their time way back in 1990 when she managed a horseman and he introduced her to, to Benoit. Like Arn did bring woman in is the, as the yeah. horseman manager in 96 or like maybe early in 96, maybe that's what they're referencing that it's Arn's fault that she's even in WCW now. And then right. led her to Benoit. Yeah, it's going to be, they, they introduced mean, guess, each but. other. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it was just weird. Deborah, of course, gets on the microphone it says, I tried to tell you about that little tramp, Nancy. She's wearing her tiara tonight to tell you that she's the most beautiful and the most intelligent. Beauty is power, and she is the most powerful horseman. Deborah McMichael, of all people. Mongo, you could tell he's got to, like, he basically wanted to say shut up, all because he basically, like, <laughs> He, uh, I ain't quickly, no time for that soap yeah, opera. He, he, that's what he said. He said, this ain't no time <laughs> to get caught up in a soap opera. He called, And then he has a preposterous claim where he calls Pittman one of the toughest wrestlers in the world. And you beat him, beat him on his yourself. own. Beat him on his own. <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? Uh, and then Arn ends it by saying, Benoit, come home, woman. I got a bone to pick with you. So. <sighs> Deborah's a man. Deborah's terrible. I mean, <laughs> this was I'm not. Curious to I, see how, yeah, I'm she, curious to see how she, she improves. Because I mean, she's someone that has a run for four more years at least. So it's like you know, she becomes something. So I'm curious how she improves. But here she was. Well, she showed she signs, but I, I this was her worst performance in a while. I don't think yeah, she, it, was, it was bad. I don't think she even knew what she was trying to get across, but. First thing, so we have spent horseman. We we've spent three full segments of this show on this feud. Yeah, that when are they even fighting again? February, you know, it's like like what are we doing? I know they fought at Super Brawl. I don't know before. Yeah, then. yeah. I don't think before then, and even after that, I don't know if they fight again till the last one over the summer. You know what I mean? Like it's this freaking feud goes like eighteen months. It's like enough. Yeah. Uh, Lee Marshall's in Pensacola. He met some folks. Now, this this made no sense either. He met some folks from Alabama. He thinks the brain was at the party, though, as someone rode the folks wagon from Alabama wheel through the nitro it sounds pie. Like, sounds like someone we know, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some backwater folks from uh, Alabama <laughs> by way of Pensacola. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you understand this? This wagon wheel and the nitro pie? I don't know what the hell he was talking about. I mean, I'm a country no, it boy. Party. I, I thought he said it was party. Oh, it, it, he said, said it was party. I think he said party. Oh, at the yeah, wagon wheel at his party at the nitro party. Wagon wheel at so. the nitro party. Okay. I don't know. Got it. Oh, and he said he thinks it's Bobby. Was he thinking Bobby was? Did he mean like a Trojan horse type of thing? Like 
Bobby was hiding inside the wagon or something? I don't know. I don't know. Bobby he said there's a wagon wheel at the party, and I think it's Bobby Heenan. That's basically what he said. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Is that lame. an insult, maybe? Maybe. Uh, Bobby gives them a lame retort to saying when they invented the first wagon wheel, Lee Marshall was there. So, and he produced their attempt to research for us if wagon wheel is some kind of insult. <laughs> is that some Alabama Pensacola <laughs> insult? You don't know about. Rock me while I like the wagon. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, next is a big uh, semifinal match in the U.S. title tournament. Diamond Dallas Page versus Jeff Jarrett. Good work to start out. Uh, Dallas hammers Jarrett in the corner. Bobby talks about how far Dallas has come. Uh, we go to break as Jarrett grabs a hammer lock. We come back from break a lot. It goes on. Tip the world slam by Dallas. Jawbreaker by Jarrett. Insiguri hits a good swinging net breaker. And then a, a nice sunset flip by Dallas. And then he does a great bump off a clothesline uh, from Jarrett. Slingshot suplex from Jarrett. Inside cradle. And then some good uh, punches back and forth. Some good flurries between these two. Dallas, you can tell, like, on commentary, they're starting to really kind of put their chips behind him as well. They're talking about his advancement. He's starting to gain more uh, fans from the crowd and whatnot. Even in this match, he was getting a good many cheers. He scales to the top rope, hits the clothesline. The announcers really were surprised by that. They were like, what is he doing? And then he hits it. So I thought that was a real good near fall. Uh, and then we get the finish, which I really liked, where uh, – Dallas kind of charges in. Jarrett moves out of the way. Dallas goes to the outside, and here comes Hall and Nash. So Hall and Nash run out to the ring. One gets on one side, one gets on the other, and Nash is kind of in the entrance way, you know, jawing with Jarrett, and Jarrett climbs the ropes and is talking to Nash, and Hall's able to sneak up from behind, hit the outsider's edge, uh, but I like I like this little piece where he doesn't put Dallas on top of him from the pen. I, I thought that was a nice touch where he just kind of goes out of the ring then. Right. Uh, so at the same time, uh, Dallas kind of crawls in, does get the pinfall, and then sees the outsiders retreating back. Uh, to the entrance way, but uh, overall, I really like this match. Actually, I thought I thought it was a good slugfest, some good moves. I mean, you had a slingshot suplex, uh, a lot of other tilt world slams, a lot a lot of offensive arsenal here, and a clever finish. These are two guys I'm I've been digging, so it was no surprise I dug this match. I went three and a quarter. Like this one. A lot. I applauded the uh, throwback of Razor hitting the Razor's Edge on Jeff Jarrett. It's like right out of 1995 WWF and then TNA just to come, TNA 2003 <laughs> or 2002, um, right, out yeah. of, right, out of the, right out of the playbook. Um, and a big match. I mean, the winner goes right to Starcade here to, to be in the finals. So it's like a big deal. Uh, Tony reminds us of the mandates at the conversion of the contracts, the NWO. And now Paige still seems ticked off. Tony does this whole thing where he butchers all these dates um, about a night show in Chicago, <laughs> yeah. clash in Milwaukee. He, he gives the wrong dates and then corrects himself mm-hmm. later in the match. So Nitro is January 20th in Chicago and clash on January 21st in Milwaukee, Saturday night in Green Bay. 
uh, taping on 122. And Bobby says, Green Bay is the fashion capital of the country. They make all the women's bowling shirts, 56 large. <laughs> It's a great line. I don't know how they. Didn't, I don't know how Tony and Mike didn't lose him on that. Um, Tony says the Broncos learned about the Packers this weekend, and that comment. Uh, also, the crowd is into Page here quite a bit, and Tony kind of covers mm-hmm. for it. He says it's the Flair loyalty in Charlotte uh, rejecting Jared as Flair's replacement, um, so they're behind Page. I thought that was a pretty interesting approach to it, um, but I liked it. I thought the Heat segment was, was a little slow. It was proficient. Um, Page is usually pretty good underneath, so I think turning a face is going to make a lot of sense. His comeback was good, and he has the, the snap finisher now, so it's like he is w- way better suited, I think, for face work at this point. Um, whereas I think Jared also is better as a face, but he kind of had to play a heel here, so it was good. It continues the NWO stuff with Page. It's kind of my standard Jarrett two and three quarter match, so I dug mm-hmm. it. It's a little less than you. Uh, Gene comes in for his <laughs> weekly interview, he wants to score. Uh, Dallas says, "Yeah, I know, uh, but I actually thought he—I thought he actually answered them pretty good here. So he says it's mm-hmm. like this: I don't need them. I got the hottest finish on the planet. He was inches from dying. I look up and they are leaving. You do your thing. I'll do mine. Where were you three years ago when I was busting my hump in WCW? He was rated most improved in PWI. PWI, so Jonathan Gresham, our uh, buddies <laughs> in that in that regard, uh, and then he." equates it to this weird he says like it reminds him of a girl that he picks up at the nightclub next thing you know she wants a membership stop (laughs) calling me leave ddp alone uh you know he would tell the same thing to them as he'd tell to the broad uh he's a man who stands alone self high five and then Gene quickly asks him about the U.S. title. He says, no one wants the U.S. title more than me. So so a good promo by Paige mm-hmm. here. Uh, and, again, he gave a pretty definitive answer. I thought this is the closest we've got to him shooting straight. And yeah. it's like four or five months. you left me behind before, him. and now you want to be my buddy because I'm hot. Right. And I thought the – if you know Paige and how he came up in, like, the nightclub circuit, like, it was a pretty good – comment about the the club stuff and all that Obviously yeah it was a big deal yeah. the fort myers or whatever the club scene so um in right. new jersey so it was it was cool like cool kind of cool wink wink to that as well so it was a really good promo i mean this is how you do something that has a little mystery a little smartness to it but isn't like super mysterious and weird and, and it makes sense like this is like way yeah. better than the benoit sullivan stuff and it's similar because they kind of were hinting for a while he's bischoff's neighbor He's buddies with Hall and Nash. They're helping him. He doesn't realize what's going on. Like, so like all that was good. And now we we're out in the open. So it's like, this is how you do a storyline like that. Yeah. Uh, time for our final, I guess we thought a match, but it ends up being a segment. So Steiner's music starts and Piper runs out and then they switch to Piper's music. He has a chair and a microphone says that's enough. He's basically doing a sit in. He's tired of talking. It's time to do some fight and no retreat, no surrender. The NW music fires up. Bobby, see ya, of course. And uh, out comes Eric Bischoff alone. Uh, Tony calls him Hulk Hogan's messenger boy, which I thought was a good <laughs> line. Uh, and then, I mean, trash just starts pelting in on Bischoff as he's coming down the ramp. Mm-hmm. So he gets, we don't see it on camera, but he gets absolutely plastered with a yes. beer. So it uh, yeah. yeah, so he's he's drenched. Bobby says he's sweating <laughs> from that. <laughs> um, but uh, he gets in the ring. trash at him, too. Yeah, Piper says, I think this was meant for you. Um, 
So there, there that goes. Uh, Piper kind of spanks him, says, I'm looking for Hogan. Eric says to relax. The NWO has left the building. He tried to keep him out of WCW to protect him from himself. He's seen his movies, but he's no Hulk Hogan. And on the 29th, the lights he will be seeing will be the last thing he will remember as the 24-inch pythons will squash him like a like a grape. Uh, and then he calls him a gimp and starts limping. Uh, to the back, and Piper decks him. Huge pop for that. Just Mm -hmm. an insane reaction to that. Piper, I thought this looked really cool visually, where then Piper stands on him, has the chair, the NWO rushes out. So we get the Outsiders, DBIC, and the Giant is the NWO contingency here. Uh, And he has a chair, and he's basically daring anyone to come in. Kevin Green jumps into the ring. He's, you know, ready to roll. Uh, and that's how the show ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so an awesome scene to end the show uh, live. So let me let me hear what you thought of that. And then we get a little exclusive uh, content on Peacock that we can talk about. I, I thought it was awesome. And it was cool to have Bischoff show a little ass this early. Because you would think maybe he's going to build and build and build and be smarmy yep. and kind of hide and... To have him come out solo and Piper just decks him out of the gate, like was was really well done. Uh, it was built up. He had it coming after what he did to Piper the last couple of times. Piper never really got a shot at him. So I thought this was this was really well done. Green being in there was awesome, like a great use of him. You know, he's gonna get the big pop. The crowd was just losing their minds. I was a little shocked Flair didn't come out too, but I guess maybe they didn't want to take a shot with him rehabbing of something mm-hmm. happening. But um it was it was great. I mean, this this feud continues to deliver. The Star K main event is lit. Um, the crowd loved it all, and it was another great. And again, it was quick. We didn't we didn't hem and haw because yeah. these are two guys that can ramble. Um, right. and they didn't. They, they kept it tight. Yeah. So a, a really cool finish. Uh, but we're not done as we get some exclusive footage is shown on the network where Piper's blasting everyone with a chair. And then Mongo and Arn come out to help out. Crowd's just going ballistic for this. Mm-hmm. And you got to think about it. This is the first time the NWO's kind of had to retreat. Yeah. So in, so in six months now almost, this is the first time you've seen Hall and Nash like cower like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a big moment. And it, it seemed frantic. Like Hall basically takes out Tony and Larry's announce booth. Like when he spills the outside. It looked really cool. It was a really cool scene. Uh, I like Piper embracing Arn at the end, too. So I was glad we got this. Uh, it's it's a neat like little nugget to the show. Yeah, it was a cool addition. A little bonus. I'm guessing this aired on 24-7. Because I think they used to do stuff like this back then. Maybe. Or maybe on the DVD or something. I don't think it was just done for Peacock. I think they did, they did some of these bonus Monday Night Wars things for a while. On, it was either the network or on 24-7. So. All right, let's set up our awards here. For Nitro, for my match of the night, I actually had Nasty Boys Faces of Fear. I had a title oh. Malenko Graffiti, but I, I ended up going with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm Jarrett Page. Best moment was Piper. I mean, God, so many, but I want Piper beating down Bischoff. Uh, Stepping on his head. Yeah, I went Piper Flair promo. Yeah, it's tough. They were both so good. Yeah, uh, I went Piper MVP. I mean, he had three great Piper so MVP. They really maximized them tonight. Yeah, uh, no shots fired unless you want to count the Mr. T thing, I guess. Yeah, I don't but. think so. 
Yeah. Uh, Road reports Pensacola. No dropped angles. I don't think. No debuts either. Um, it was a great. It was a great episode. I think we were missing some big stars. We kind of missed that marquee match, but they did a lot with what they had to work with. This is some of the matches were a bit of a drag, but they at least kept them short. So I ended up going seven and a half out of ten, um, mm. which is a big bump up from my last one around five and a half. Um, yeah, I actually thought this was a little bit of a weird episode. Um, I thought it had really high highs, but some lower lows. Um, I, I kind of wafted back and forth on where to rank it. I'm going seven. I mean, I thought it was a good episode for sure. Uh, I just thought like it's, it's interesting because the final, I mean, I think the final angle is really cool, but it also like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it does sell the main event, but it's just weird that, you know, we don't see Hogan at all. So it, it's almost like they're selling it like, will Hogan even have the balls to show up in some ways? Right. Uh, which is a little weird. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Flair promo is amazing. A couple good matches, too. Like, there was two matches that is good. Nasties versus Face of Fear is not bad either as your third match on the card. There's just some weird stuff. Like, too much Sullivan, some throwaway matches, uh, the Rick Steiner Sting saga. Uh, just some weird stuff that prevents me from saying it's a great Nitro. Um, and, and in a weird way, I may actually prefer watching the prior week just for the Outsiders commentary. But I, I still thought it was a good show. Seven out of ten. All right. <clears throat> so why don't we go ahead and head over to Raw. I'll see how this stacks up. Um, and we should note there's, what, two more two more Nitros still start, right? So we'll see what yeah. they do. Uh, or th- uh, two, right? It's the 29th. So. Yeah, 16th and 23rd. Yeah, okay. All right, whereas over on the WF side, we're on the go-home for In Your House, It's Time. So let's see how they close shop up here. Our final episode in New Haven, finally. Uh, did you want to hit those couple of Meltzer notes before we get in? Yeah, so, he, well, I mean, he talks about Shotgun Saturday Night, which is coming up. So uh, Meltzer says, not sure exactly what the concept is for Shotgun Saturday Night, other than it won't be a traditional wrestling show. They've cleared somewhere between 10 and 20 stations, all in major markets, although they're still keeping nearly everything about the show secret, including the stations, the concept, and even the location will emanate from. The belief is that it will revolve around several New York City nightclub locations, perhaps including the China Club, Webster Hall, Club Expo, and All-Star Cafe, and that AAA wrestlers will be appearing on the inaugural show. Supposedly, it won't be that much like an ECW show because the stations they are won't allow blood, chair, throwing, or heavy violence. The show is expected to be pushed hard for syndication at the NATPE convention in January, and they're trying to make the Saturday night tapings the end thing to be at in New York City. So there, there you go. Um and then uh, he talks about the buy rate of Survivor Series. So he says WWF is claiming a 0.8 buy rate for Survivor Series, which is well above the early estimates we'd heard. We heard independent sources estimates vary from 0.48 to 0.65, and most independent accounts placed a figure at roughly the same as what WCW did for World War III. I mean, when I did my research, it looked like everything kind of confirmed that, that it ended up being around the same as World War III. So I think they were uh, over-exaggerating over what the buy rate was. Surprise, surprise. 
yeah that's a that's shotgun's it. interesting i guess we'll talk more about it probably when we get to early 97 um mm-hmm. i remember the first episode aired on fox boston which you could get in parts of rhode island i didn't get it in my house it was like a, a line like across the state like closest to southern mass they got mm-hmm. also got fox 64 which is the providence fox and fox 25 which is the boston fox so some areas got it i have to be staying over my aunt and uncle's house in cranston the night of that first shotgun and I actually watched it it was on like at midnight or 1 a.m or something crazy i stumbled into it and i'm like oh shit because they had fox 25 when i didn't at home i think eventually fox 64 picked it up as well but um that first one was a shock i remember being like oh shit like this this seemed really cool and i i have a tape of the rest because my buddy jim was in the fox 25 territory so he he recorded them all so they're cool little um it doesn't last long that they do the bar thing. I think it's like six or eight weeks, and then they do kind of shift yeah. to the tape it before Raw deal once Raw moves move settings. But those six to eight weeks were kind of cool. Like there's some cool little stuff on there, and it's very different than anything else that they had going on. So we could talk more about it as it comes up. But yeah, no, I never watched one, any of it live. Yeah, that was the only one I think I, I really saw live. Maybe maybe another one, but Marlena flashing her tits on the first episode it was like the big the big selling point. So. <laughs> Um, all right, let's get right in. We get the video recap of the Undertaker Paul Bearer issues all throughout 1996. Because tonight, Undertaker fights mankind, no holes barred. I don't think we need to get into this. We talked about it quite a bit. It's like this should have been probably in your house. Yeah. Um, they should have done an execution at Survivor Series. Like we've talked about all the perm- yeah. permutations here of this feud. But uh, we're going to get it tonight. It likely should be the blow off, I think, of this feud that began back in April. Um, so we'll see. We get right into our opener, and that is Psycho Sid defending his world title against Hunter Hearst Helmsley. We cold open the arena. Sid is out. Great presence as always. Vince says Sid is leading the WF into a new era, but JR thinks his big matchup against Bret Hart on Sunday could be a change. Uh, now I should clarify. He's not defending. It's a non-title on both ends, um, but he is out with his world title. Ross talks about Hunter as a comp for Bret in the ring as a prep for Sid. I that, was, that was quite the comment. Um, <laughs> You know, it's been a chaotic year for, for Hunter, but he's I guess he's closing out kind of strong. Sid comes in the aisle. He attacks Hunter during his entrance. Uh, he's slugging away, throws him in the ring. Sid hammers away as Vince asks Ross if Sid is sending a message for Sunday. Sid press slams Hunter, shoves Hunter to the floor after he dodges a boot. Sid hot shots Hunter on the railing as JR says Sean will be on commentary for the main event on Sunday. So it could be volatile. Sid shoves Hunter back inside, buries him with a choke slam, loads up the power bomb. Ross says Hunter almost lost his title back on Superstars this past weekend. Sid smashes Hunter with a power bomb, but Hunter rolls to the floor, crawls away, and gets counted out. And Ross predicts Sid will submit to Bret Hart on Sunday. Uh, just a squash. I, I don't get it. Shocking treatment of your Intercontinental Champion. Uh, weak finish. Like he just got destroyed. Uh, it's dominant for Sid. It looks great, but why? Why are we using Hunter? You got a million dead bodies on this roster, including yeah. one in the next match that you could have used for this, and have Sid look like a monster. I mean, I get maybe you're saying like, look, even even this guy he's killing, and like he could beat anyone, but it's like why Hunter's taken so long to get back on track. He's really just been back on track for like a month and a half at most, and yeah. he didn't look great at Survivor Series. Like he hasn't been presented super well at all. Uh, we finally dumped perfect, and now he's, like, getting killed by Sid. So I went star and a half for the squash, but the booking here made no sense to me. Same. A star and a half. I was kind of infuriated by the booking. I, I don't know if the Intercontinental Champions ever looked as weak as right here up to this point. No. Like, 
just seemed blatantly out of place. Uh, King kind of tries to justify it by saying he was attacked in the entrance way, but I mean, he was dominated. <laughs> he gets choke slammed, lays out for 20 seconds. Sid's calling for another one, then decides to just powerbomb him. And I mean, even at the end, like Hunter bitches out and retreats to the back. So I, I, I thought this was uh, very egregious in the handling of your Intercontinental Champion. I didn't understand it from any booking standpoint, especially because, I mean, Hunter's defending his belt. So what did... Uh, I don't know. I, I thought this was really dumb, star and a half. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you want to hype Sid for Sunday, but Hunter, again, like you said, is defending his belt Sunday. So you have yeah. so many useless warm bodies on this roster right now, This like eating up space that could any of them could have jobbed. You could make a case that like Hunter, besides, I don't, I mean, like of all your heels, like maybe besides, I mean, I guess they still consider Austin a heel, but besides right. Austin, Bulldog, Owen. Mankind. Mankind, like, he should be the most protective. So we're, there's only four or five more. Um, throw, we're going to stick Goldust in a minute. Throw him in there. Let's say destroy yeah. him. Like, yeah. whatever. Or how about Sal Sincere? <laughs> we talked about him a bunch, right? Like, <laughs> what, like just have him get killed. Like, who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. I know they were trying to use it to sell the show, but you already got Taker Mankind's on the show. You didn't need to stack it with another champion versus champion match or anything like that. I, I would appreciate a more interaction between Brett and Sid. I mean, we talked about it, but they, they literally, like, we see stuff from the London House show the week before, and Brett does a promo, but they're in this New Haven Coliseum taping, they did nothing. not do any face-to-face or nothing. It's crazy. It's and, just and crazy. they knew it was happening because... Like they say to Survivor Series that Brett, the winner, yeah. Brett Austin, is going to get the title shot. So it's not like they didn't yeah. know when they did the taping and it was going to change or something. Right. It's odd. All right, we get highlights from SummerSlam of Undertaker Mankind Boiler Room Brawl. Then we head right back to the ring as Goldust is out with Marlena to take on Bart Gunn, a chatty favorite here in 1996. <laughs> yeah. We find out Bart was close to beating Hunter on Superstars for the IC title. Uh, JR says Superstars is one of his best ever calls. He got cards and faxes from fans. And as a result, he's going to stay here in the booth all night tonight because he's riding high off his uh, great call on Superstars. King is sad about that. Uh, Vince and JR then reveal that Bart will take on Billy Gunn next week on Raw in Tampa the night after it's time. So big brother versus brother match on the live show coming. Uh, we get clips of the Bart Hunter match. Billy cost him the IC title. Goldust throws glitter in Gunn's face. He starts aggressively with punches and kicks. Hot shots him on the top rope. Goldust slings gun outside. Ross talks about Goldust as an athlete, references his past just a little bit. Goldust hot shots gun on the railing. Popular spot tonight. Marlena blows smoke in Bart's face. JR is horny for the cigar. Goldust keeps Bart on the floor. Ross is complaining about the autograph regress he's getting as he's trying to do his job here. Bart tries to suplex Goldust on the floor, but he can't, so Goldust takes him back in. JR says he's the only person to interview Bret Hart since his return, and we're just fully back to angry heel JR tonight. Like, I don't... I thought we were done with this. It's still here in force. Bart comes firing back. Uh, Goldust takes him down and hammers away. We get Billy backstage. He talks about carrying Bart's whole career, and he can't do anything without him. Goldust cranks aside headlock as the crowd whispers some boring chants. Ross rants about Sonny and Tommy Lee and Pam Anderson as we move along. King says Billy came back from a devastating neck injury to win the tag titles three times. Bart dodges a knee, hammers away Goldust. We get more in your house talk. 
Bart misses a charge to the corner. Goldust clotheslines him down, goes to a neck vice. We go through a break with that. Bart keeps punching back as Vince hypes up Bart's early solo success. He kicked Goldust in the gut, hits a bulldog for two, backdrops Goldust, but misses a dive off the top, lands hard on his knee, and Goldust takes his knee out with a chop block for the win. Which I thought was an interesting finish. I mean, Goldust seems to win these stupid matches that he shouldn't be winning at all. It's not the first time. Billy comes out, rants at his brother. Bart fights up and cleans off his brother out of the ring. It was it was proficient. It was just boring. Goldust is boring. He he needs to change badly. Um, gone is the Goldust that we loved in February, March, April. That was like revolutionary on Raw. And now he's just puts on these plotting, boring matches. Not not the type of guy that would finish first at a GWE um, or top 10. Uh, I mean, I guess Goldust needed a hard-fought win, so whatever. But you're building up Bart. He almost won the IC title. He's got the big match next week at Billy. Like, just have Billy interfere and do the DQ if you don't want Bart to win clean over Goldust. But, again, I would have had Goldust get killed by Sid. I would have put Sal Sincere or whoever here against Bart. Let Bart yep. get a strong win for next week. Put Hunter on ice until until Sunday. We didn't need him fighting anyway. Yep. Um, it just felt dead. This is such a tough spot in the taping, too. Week four, mm-hmm. toward the end of the night, like it was never going to click. So I went two and a quarter because, again, I think the work was fine, but it was just, it was just boring, which is a raw trend. There's so many boring <laughs> matches. Yeah, I, I went two and a half. I, I thought Goldust maybe was a little more spry than we'd seen. wasn't great, but. He gave, he gave something. I mean, the crowd was done. I mean, they're, they're just going to be done. Like, they're done at, by the point in this taping. They were certainly done here. So that, so they didn't care. The booking, again, was perplexing. This is two rolls in a row that's had some really poor booking, uh, which is very disappointing. It feels like a step back. Um, I will say, like, I think this is the first Raw, I don't know since when we had no Austin. Mm. And like wasn't even mentioned really. Um, maybe in past. He's out on the card on Sunday. Now, so I I think that I think they really just wanted to focus on Taker Man. I seem like they really built the show like around that match being the final. And again, why are you doing it on the fourth week? I mean, it ends up ends up being hot. We'll talk about it, but it seems like such a waste. I don't understand Bart losing here. I thought they made him look like a chump. I mean, it, it even the finish, the way it's worked, like it's not anything Billy does. Like he doesn't come out till after the match. So like basically Bart looks like an idiot because he goes for a high-risk move, uh, Goldust chop blocks him and gets the pin very easily. It wasn't even like he hit the curtain call or something. I, I don't know. Overall, right. just a strange, strange finish. Uh, I mean, Bart. Bart's still one of my like underrated faves of the mid card here. I thought he looked uh, looked pretty good with his punches, but yeah, I mean, overall, uh, King did get in a good line about Stu and Helen Hart. He said they used to be nudists until they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So that was one of <laughs> King's best best uh, best lines in a while. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, decent match, but I mean, this felt like a four or five, four or five hour of a raw taping match. So right. two and a half is kind of your ceiling. At least have, at least have Billy cost him the match. Like he's like Bart yeah, cost Billy. That's what it's or like, Billy I mean, cost him the night before. Dumb. Yeah. Right. So even if he's not going to get like a DQ, like have him directly influence the finish. Yeah. Um, I mean, he could have, he could have distracted. If Bart would have went to the top, Billy could have ran down right. 
And even then, like, you could have had Goldust, like, shake the ropes and, you know, it something. crotches him or he, oh, he came down on his knee or something like that. Right. Like, it just, yeah. like, all of a sudden, Bart scaling to the top rope and this is this wild dive and then Goldust gives him one chop block and that's it. Like, it, it's just right. a odd finish and then he's out of fire and like billy has to retreat yeah afterwards yeah i think so all right so we're yeah it was just an they odd both, setup they both and, I mean, next week's the big match so we'll see but um <laughs> all right backstage we that. we got brad sean's Zebekaya ranting about jesse james's <laughs> big handicap challenge we'll get that in a minute todd pentgill's in the studio recaps the karate fighters holiday tournament we get <laughs> some highlights with traumatic music and next week we'll have the final live on raw uh where jerry lawler takes on sable so, I, I didn't mind. I got well. I, I got I got a music. question about this. Okay. Did Todd not say, uh, what Karate Fighter Monday was this week? Uh, maybe screw it up and it meant two weeks because I know they're gonna do it well, live. So you think it was you, taped already? I was wondering if they taped it and Mister Perfect won the whole tournament. And now they had to do it live with a new right. winner. It's possible, Tim. I don't That's Chad's gonna... conspiracy theory. We so know they had to retape his first round. Well, I know they like the observer said they had to retape his first round. No idea whether they had to uh, who was booked to win. <laughs> I don't know if uh, kayfabe commentaries when they went through the '96 timeline <laughs> touched on the uh, karate well, fighters. Yeah, Producer Tim, if you can look up maybe historyofduty.com, like look at this raw taping. Did they tape a Mr. Perfect Sable Karate Fighters thing live and then have to, to bag it? Well, they didn't tape it live. I know that. I looked at that. So it wasn't part of the taping? No. Okay. But did they say for sure in the beginning of this whole mess that it would be live in front of the audience? I don't know, but it is. I know that. I know, but that's it's what live I'm saying. Like they, yeah. like they could have just taped it. With everything and then change else. It on the fly, and then. But said, why would oh, they have left Todd saying tournament. next week? Though they knew by that point because they reached. I don't know. It. I, I think he said something like Karate Fighter Monday or whatever. But it's like, yeah. why? Why did we need a week of hype? Yeah, I'm ready for this to be over with. I mean, it's. it's I think I just wanted to do like a live a and make like a big deal. Yeah, out of that. Uh, raw, so. It may be cute for a week, but I think this is one of these <laughs> things that, like, if you're a WWF fan, like you kind of have fond memories and nostalgic of right. this, and then if you watch it week to week, it's like. All right, like yeah. it's it's funny to say, like, oh, I remember when they had the little karate fighters tournament, but I mean we're we're up to 15, 18 minutes committed to karate <laughs> fighters. It's kind of stupid. I'll say this though, they at least they turn the final into an angle, at least. So it goes somewhere. It's not just like there the we go. Way. So it's something. <laughs> uh all right, to the ring we go. We have our handicap match built from last week as Jesse James, a real double J, takes on Justin Hawk Bradshaw and Uncle Zebekiah. Uh, we got highlights of what led to the match. Double J sings his way out, dives in the ring, cleans house. Bradshaw gets a shot to the gut, doubles up with Zeb. James fights him off, gets an overhead throw, slams Bradshaw. King and JR are bickering over who gets to interview Bret Hart. As Bradshaw throws James outside, he fends off Zeb. Uh, Double J keeps throwing fists until he gets shoved in the corner and gets worked over. We reset with a Bradshaw knee. Uh, James comes back until Bradshaw hits a bulldog. Ross says Brett is going to win Sunday by submission. Vince says Sid's going to win. King says Jimmy Johnson yesterday predicted victory, but the Cowboys lost to the Giants. And that's what Jim Ross's future is going to be because Sid's going to win. Uh, Bradshaw gets a back suplex to elbow off the middle rope for two. 
Zeb comes in, tries a slam. James reverses to an inside cradle. Ross says he wants to hold a referee seminar. Uh, Vince trolls him on that. Bradshaw tags back in, works over James. We get more talk about Jesse James' Christmas album, which I don't think we're ever going to see. I might have to consider that dropped angle soon. James walks in into a nice sidewalk slam for two. Bradshaw hammers away, puts James on the top rope. James punches free, knocks him back down, comes off with a clothesline. Double J, he kicks Zeb, backdrops Bradshaw, nails Zeb again. Bradshaw comes back with a kick. Ross is all over Vince, just antagonizing him constantly. James comes kicking back. Bradshaw blocks a pump handle, goes to a full Nelson. Zeb comes in, hits Bradshaw with an iron, uh, with the branding iron by accident, and James covers for the win. Ross says Zeb is as useless, rich coat tight. That hurt. Uh, Bradshaw ends up beating the shit out of Jesse James after. Again, I, I mean, there's some energy here, I guess. James is fine fighting them off, but the crowd is just asleep. Like, it completely kills the vibe of the match. I don't blame him. Like, who cares about these guys? Mm-hmm. I thought James at least fought with energy. Um, Bradshaw's power offense is good, but he's just dead in the water. Like, he needs to change. He pretty much dumps Zeb here. Um, so that'll hopefully maybe do something different with him. He's been, you know, a guy we've liked when we've seen him, but he's been completely wasted throughout the year. Uh, we'll see what James, what bucket of nothing he moves on to next in his career. Uh, so I went two and a half again. It was fine, but Woo. yeah, that was all right. <laughs> yeah, that was, was starting a quarter. I thought it was bad. Uh, real bad. That bad. Stupid, stupid handicap match. Stupid booking. Blooms off the Brad Charles Rose. For, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, he needs a chance here. I, I just didn't think he looked uh, very energetic at all here. Um, you know, not not great on offense. Abakai is in the way mostly. And King, he had that good joke about Stu and Helen in the match before, an insanely lame joke saying he wrote a Christmas song called Joy to the World Wrestling Federation. I mean, just it doesn't I mean like the worst of the worst of jokes from him. Uh, rough-looking top rope clothesline by Jesse James. And then this finish, which I thought was completely asinine. So, again, we're 0 for 3 on the booking tonight, uh, which is not a great sign. Uh, so, you talked about it. Like, Zebekiah hits Bradshaw accidentally with the branding iron. Double uh, double J, real double J wins. The announcers call Zebekiah stupid for what he did. I mean, it is Ross, but, I mean... It was stupid. Right. Like he cost his guy the match, mm-hmm. and then Bradshaw nails him, and Vince all of a sudden is now like appalled at that. Like is like, oh, what type of a man is Bradshaw? Like Sebakai has been helping him, and this is how he. It's like he just cost him the match, and like you yeah. criticized Vince, him. It's like how do we the just JR turn thing. on the dime? Yeah. The JR thing is ruining Vince. I mean, not that Vince. Oh, great. But it's ruining Vince, too, because it's forcing him to constantly be combating JR. JR's whole thing is that he speaks, I speak the truth, and this and that. And because he's combative with Vince, Vince has to constantly be on the other side of him, and it leads to him defending some stupid shit. Yeah, I mean, this this, this made no sense, where you, you see somebody call somebody the match. He's a heel, so who cares if he beats him up? But I guess because you want Bradshaw to continue being a heel now, you have to act like it's indignant. It's like, wait a minute, you've been railing against Zebekiah for yeah. months now for using that branding iron. And right. Uh, that drives me nuts. So, uh, yeah, starting a quarter. I didn't like this at all. And Double J's, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been a huge Jesse James Armstrong fan, but uh, it's even worse than I remembered. So. <laughs> If we get to it, Road Dog's going to have to be pretty dang good, or I'm going to chalk him up as one of the worst, like, 
performers that got a sizable push uh, in U.S. television history. If we get to it. I don't know. I'm not that far off. It's only a year away. Year away? That's like... <laughs> we just talked about Jay Briscoe. I don't want to be morbid, <laughs> but, you know, let's not make promises. It's only a year away. But, yeah. yeah. He sucks. He sucks. I mean, I don't... I, I didn't I mind. The match like was fine. Yeah, the match was fine. Oh. But it was... The angle's dumb. It, but, whatever. At least they told a story across Terry the Terry Taylor, <laughs> 10 days out of 10 over... Jesse James I don't disagree. Armstrong I mean, I just it was whatever. The match didn't bother me that much. I thought he had some energy in it. Um, it's just going nowhere. Is it the, the biggest problem with F is these guys show up and you can tell within a week they're going nowhere. That's a, that's a big one of the biggest flaws. Like on Nitro, guys can show up and you you kind of all right. Well, maybe something could happen with someone like fucking VK Wall Street destroying the hottest angle in the company. Like like anything can happen at any time. On Raw, you look at a guy one weekend and you know he's cooked. Even fly, even Scorpio. Like, I mean, it shows up as Flash. Like we knew. Like, all right, this guy's not going anywhere with this freaking gimmick. And it's like, where? I mean, where in the guy's name is the Sultan at? Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's been around since this. Oh, maybe he got hurt. He was in that pre-show on Survivor Series, but he hasn't yeah. been around since. I don't think. So maybe he's banged up. I don't know. But these guys, like real Jet Double J, like you just know it's not going anywhere. Bradshaw had the potential, but he's he's done nothing. He had that never-ending feud with Savio Vega that went across like three pay-per-views and never actually had a pay-per-view match. I don't think. Um, we also hadn't seen in a while, which is fine. And he was a Survivor Series. I think that for some reason these guys aren't on the taping, but they were all a Survivor Series. So I don't right. Yeah, Savio was. Yeah. All right, Brett's backstage prepping for his big interview. Uh, Raw is brought to us by Sega Saturn. If you buy one on December thirty-first, you get three free games. So check that out. I was actually surprised that Saturn was still around. I thought that was more like early 95. Oh, I mean, uh, nah, Sega Saturn? Yeah, Dreamcast I don't think came out to like 97, 98. Yeah, that's later. Yeah, I guess. I, just, I, I don't mean, rate Dreamcast that had great graphics. Oh, Dreamcast is awesome. That NBA yeah. game, it was NBA 2000 or 99, was like, we played the shit out of that in college. That was like an amazing game. Um The, uh, but Rage in the Cage, oh, no, that was Sega CD. That's what I'm thinking of. Sega CD was raging the cage. Yeah, I never had. I never. That was like never. a '93 game with the. It was kind of cool graphics. I don't even think I knew anybody that had a Saturn. Uh. No, was that the one? What was up against Super Nintendo? Was that Saturn? Sega Saturn. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, when did Sega Genesis itself? That's something it feels like they yeah. kind of yeah. Was Saturn after Genesis? Yeah. Okay, I don't know about a Saturn. Like Genesis, I mean, like, I, Jim had I would Genesis say, and I had a Super Nintendo. All right, let me look. I'll look. Up. Sega Saturn to me seems like it may have went up again. I mean, you know, Super Nintendo was still rocking. Yeah, it came out November twenty second, nineteen ninety four. So it had been like one year, or North America May eleventh, nineteen ninety five. So that's right when like PlayStation. It's like six months before PlayStation. Right. So there you go. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I got, I mean, we talked about this, but my lineage goes PlayStation, Nintendo sixty four, Xbox, PlayStation two, etc. So, yeah, I never had the N sixty four. I was all Nintendo until PlayStation one, and then I've been all PlayStation since. That's it. I never Other had a like, uh, stuff. Yeah, I never had a Sega system. Uh, I just played the Genesis with my cousins, and then mm-hmm. the Dreamcast. My buddy Eric had it. Um, so, we well, it's cool having it the out. two different versions of um, raw 
because I had Super Nintendo and Jim had Genesis, so like they had the five different characters in each. So he'd come over to my house, yeah. we'd play Super Nintendo version, and go there and play the raw their version. There's like it was all different guys in that. One. <laughs> that I think that Super Nintendo had different difference. guys too. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, the first game that I really remember is uh, WCW NWO World Tour. So, that's oh, wow. first wrestling. Yeah, I had game. gone through like probably five or six by then already. I, I mean, remember, that I came did... out when I was probably eleven. I would say, yeah, yeah, because the first one, the first WF game, WrestleMania, I didn't play until like later. I went back and played it. But wrestling, WrestleMania Challenge was my first big one. That was on super. That was on regular Nintendo. And the Steel Cage Challenge was the huge one. I was like dying to rent when it came out and then bought. Well, let me take that back. WCW Nitro, I think, came out before World Tour, right? No. It was World Tour. No, it was WCW versus the World. That was 95, 96. Yeah. Okay, yeah. WCW Nitro was 98. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. WCW versus the World. WCW versus NWO World Tour was the one that I'm revenge or whatever. And it was what was revenge? Was that the next one? Uh, Revenge is yeah later. Yeah, those two were awesome. I mean that started the whole achy system. Oh yeah, would then no mercies like you know in WrestleMania 2000. Yeah, WCW NWO Revenge. It has Goldberg on the cover. Like Mm -hmm. legit, it and Goldeneye is probably the two games I've played the most. Period. Yeah, yeah. WrestleMania two, WrestleMania 2000s up there, but I would say Revenge has it beat. Having those games in college when you had nothing but time to kill was like amazing. I mean, Adam and I just played. We made. I have so many creative guys from like WrestleMania 2000. It's insane. We we made so many guys. He had the ECW game too for PlayStation, which is basically like Raw rebuilt, and we built up that roster too. So I'm looking at WCW versus the world. Yeah, yeah. WCW versus the world. I did have uh, producer Tim helping us out here. So Mm -hmm. on PS One. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, that one was sick. Um. So when he (laughs) says uh, the only mention on history of combat karate fighters was the Fort Wayne Raw, so that was it. So nothing else live. Nothing a wagon wheel. (laughs) So catch it up on some notes. (laughs) There we go. Good notes. Um. Yeah, WCW vs. the World. That was PS1? I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I thought that was N64. Yeah. But... I know I had yeah, that right. on PS1. No, right. And I had Nitro. They had, the, they, had the, they had the Star Kid 95 guys, didn't it? Like, WCW vs. the yeah. World was like based off of that. Yeah. I think. And then World Tour, yeah. that World Tour and Revenge were the two big N64 games. Like, those are the ones... They'd have the battle royal mode and you just play for hours. The battle royal mode. Remember Aki Man? Mm-hmm. Aki Man was like undefeated. <laughs> undefeated. <laughs> Couldn't beat him. And then uh, WrestleMania 2000 was also in 64, which is right. also a great game. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I have that game for PlayStation. Though. I'm looking at it. I probably have it still somewhere. There you go. If you're on the there video, you, you can see the cover. All right. Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> JR's in the ring. He is uh, brings out Bret Hart to a big pop. The crowd is walking, waking back up now as Bret comes in. Uh, Bret is rocking a Canadian tuxedo. It says things get crazier and crazier in the WWF. We get clips of Austin attacking him two weeks ago. Ross says they tried to pilmanize his ankle. So it was part of the vernacular. I know we talked about that. Uh, but it looks like it definitely 
was uh, part of Lexicon now. Uh, then we see Austin's attack at London. Brett says for a long time he thought about being WF champion. Sid's in his way. When Sid snaps, people call him psycho. When he snaps, they're going to call him WF champion. He doesn't care how big or bad Sid is, but on Sunday, he'll be ex- excellently executed. I mean, run of the mill, three and a half hours into a taping, Brett Hart promo with the hard sell for Sunday. Just It was standard Brett trope topic. It was fine. It was well delivered. Just trying to sell you one last time that he's going to win the title. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I think this kind of shows, um, you know, we talked about it with Flair, and like it's it's a tough standard because like Flair, Orn, these are some of the best promo guys of all time. Mm-hmm. But I think the past two weeks that shows like those are both promos from Flair and Orn that I didn't remember, we didn't recall, right? And yeah. they're both great. Like here's a promo from Brett. It's not bad, but he's just not the type of caliber promo person historically as some of those other guys, or even like Austin rock, which we'll see. So, I mean, he's a good promo, but not amazing. I think the match just doesn't resonate anyway. Like it's mailed in. There's not a lot of heat or drama to it. I mean, it's a big match. Like you'd think they'd be really selling the shit out of this thing. Yeah. Bret Hart gets his first world title shot since losing the belt at WrestleMania. Sid just beat Sean. We're December pay-per-view doing Bret Sid for the world title. Like, it's a big deal. It really feels like a match where the winner should be in doubt um, going forward. Like, I, I, I don't think going in you would know who's winning because, I mean, I don't think Bret versus Sean at Rumble that, like, insane to think about because no. – they're trying to sell out the Alamo Dome. So you got to think they're trying to have a big match for that. And they just had it at WrestleMania, you know, so mm-hmm. to do the rematch at a secondary pay-per-view that's still a big four, like that's not that much of a downgrade. I think the idea of Sid beating Brett a month into his return is preposterous too a bit on paper. Like if you think about yeah. it, right? So yeah. especially the way Sid's really been booked. I mean, he wasn't heated up until that month leading into Survivor Series. So it's like... right. It just seemed like a way to get the belt back on Brett, honestly, more than anything. It's kind of a wasted opportunity, mm-hmm. I would say, the whole match. But All right, we get our claim slam of the week, which is funk, uh, Flash Funk hitting uh, the funky Flash splash on the goon. So that's that. And then we head to our main event, which is Undertaker versus Mankind, No Holes Barred. We get a promo from Mankind in the Dubai desert, sand, in, the, in the sand, whining about wanting to go home. I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get your buddies, George and Adam. They're in the Alamo Dome. Uh, teasing that they're going to be there for the next six weeks or whatever it is <laughs> until we're at Rumble 97. Uh, we get more clips from Survivor Series. Just filling time here. Taker finally arrives. The crowd is lively for his entrance. Mankind attacks at the bell. Taker gets a clothesline and axe off the top. Loads up the tombstone, but out comes the executioner right away. Gets on the apron. Taker meets him with a punch. Executioner runs away. Taker follows as we go to break. We get our ad for full metal. After the break, Mankind's battering Taker on the floor. Taker turns the tidy and loads with punches. Taker slams the steps on Mankind's hand, works the hand in the ring, beating on it. Mankind punches his way back in, clotheslines Taker to the floor and tumbles with him. Ross talks about the big Taker executioner match this Sunday as Mankind works Taker's leg on the floor. Mankind slings him into the railing, chucks the timekeeper out of the way, puts Taker's leg on a chair and flies off the apron in a really cool-looking spot. Ross said he heard a pop as both guys are rolling on the floor. Back inside, Taker fights off Mankind, kicks him out back to the floor. Taker kicks Mankind into the railing, hobbles out, and dumps him onto the steps. Taker scoops up Mankind and slams him on the Spanish announce table as we get a break. We come back. We're getting back in the ring. Mankind takes out the knee, goes up top, but Taker catches him by the throat. But Mankind hits a drop toe hold and goes back to the knee. Mankind grabs a chair. Taker kicks it into his face and punches it into him. Mankind floats out of a tombstone and goes to the mandible claw. 
Taker starts to fade, but he hangs on and breaks the hole of the bear hug. Dead lefts Mankind into the corner, which is a good desperation spot. Mankind charges, but Taker scoops him, hits the tombstone, and wins the match clean. Executioner comes in, jabs the Asiatic spike into Taker, and leaves him laid out cold as we wrap up. Uh, this is a good brawl. It definitely gave a, a good shot of energy into the show that needed it badly. Um, I like closing the taping with it. They don't do this enough, like closing the taping with a hot match like this. Um, Taker gets a big win for Sunday, but it weakens them too. So the result didn't really make me much a bearer. Like he just wanted to see Executioner get the uh, upper hand going into Sunday. Um, it felt like the end of the straight up feud. Taker's beating him clean twice in a row. Like it's pretty much done. Now we got the coda on Sunday. Yeah. Um, I thought they pushed a the limit for Raw TV as far as brawling goes in this era. So they did that. And it kind of bookended the, the taping nicely. We started with take with a Austin Mankind brawl. We end the four-week taping with Taker Mankind brawling. So we had a lot of crap and junk in between, but we kind of opened with a hot brawl, ended with a hot, crazy brawl. Um, I went three and a half. I thought it was a pretty pretty good ending to their feud for now. Yeah. Uh, George and Adam, they find a shoe and they discuss who that could be. They bring up Yokozuna and then they're like, oh, he doesn't wear shoes. It's just stupid sucks i'm gonna be ranting against that every week it's gonna be driving me nuts yeah goose uh <laughs> yeah i went three and a quarter on this match it was, it was a very good brawl uh had some some good kind of cutoff spots i uh, liked when mankind sent taker into the steps there was a guy in the front row with a cactus jack t-shirt that started chanting he's hardcore really loud uh then i mean the table didn't break so that looked brutal like mm -hmm. I, I i love these early table spots where i mean they get slammed on the equipment and everything so there's it's it's more visceral more violent uh the other thing i really liked in this match was to cut all spots right at the end where uh, we get the drop toll hole by mankind which looked really good as well as the uh kind of the teases with the mandible claw the choke slam attempt and whatnot and then uh, the tombstone as well them kind of slipping out of it before he does eventually succumb to the tombstone very definitive finish one that worked well took a while to get here but we did end up with a good brawl to finish off this taping with a smart finish and uh it leads us to the executioner i mean the executioner they do call it the asianic spike uh this week instead of the asian spike so that's good and uh, i mean that's that's probably been the most heated match as far as interaction we've seen in the pay-per-view so mm -hmm. they're kind of hanging their hat on that one for good or you know worse all right, I wrap up Raw. Um, <clears throat> let's get to our awards. Match of the night, obviously, Taker Mankind. Yeah. Uh, I want the slam on the table as the best moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's many other options. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Mankind, I gave the MVP. I thought he busted his ass. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, no shots fired. No debuts, nope. no dropped angles yet. We'll see about the Christmas album. Uh, and final grade, <clears throat> I ended up going five out of ten. Um, the main event really saved it. I, it would have been, and I was a little bit higher on those other matches, but it would have been a lot, a lot worse of an episode if they didn't dedicate that whole chunk of time and, and really let those guys go all out. Um, so that and, and the Sid Hunter aside, Sid starting the show with a hot squash was like still like a good start. It's just the booking didn't make sense on that one. 
Yeah, I mean, I I guess I ended up being pretty nice. I went five and a half. Uh, yeah. I mean, just because the ma- the the main event match was good. Um, uh, that's probably the least we talked about something, but it was it was a very good match, very conclusive brawl. We we went over the booking of where it should have been, but what we got was a very good match. Uh, that did take up around a third of the episode overall. So a little bit better than like a baseline raw right. because of the good match. All right, let's get to our combo awards. Uh, best show, obviously, Nitro. Yep. <clears throat> We're going to take her Mankind. Yeah, that that's the only match that we'll uh, have as a hidden gem. Correct. Best segment. We were kind of torn. We had Piper Bischoff. We had Piper Flair. <laughs> Not going to cave. <laughs> All right, we'll go Piper Flair and Charlotte. That's fine. Thank you. Remember that one. You owe, you owe me one. That uh, probably was awesome. Nitro, better commentary? Yeah. Star of the Night Piper. Yep. Ratings winner, Nitro. Yeah, but not, not as good as you might think. Let me see. Dave had a note on that. Let me scroll up and get to it. Like it wasn't. It was actually disappointing, the ratings. Uh, let me see. Nitro did a 3.1 rating with a 4.8 share, which has to be disappointing with Piper all over the show. It only did a 2.9 in the first hour, 3.4 in the I second. I hyped the hour. shit out of it too last yeah. week. Yeah, you know? so weird. I, uh, I'm gonna look up Monday Night Football too. Uh, Raw did a 2.3. So, I mean, head to head, it was 2.3 versus 2.9. So, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a little bit of a surprise there, I would say. Football must have done some damage. Yeah, Monday night football. Well, I mean, eh, some decent markets, but not that crazy of a marquee game. Oakland versus Kansas City. Like you wouldn't think that would be. Uh, I don't think either team know. was even any good. I don't yeah, I mean, the, and the and the, I tell you what, the match, uh, the game, it's twenty six seven. It's the final. So Kansas City win. <laughs> no, oh for one. The uh, I don't think either team was. I don't think either team was sniffing playoffs. Yeah, God, 1996 Oakland Raiders. I couldn't even name you one person on that team. And the Chiefs were. That was their little downstretch. They don't get hot again until like 99, 2000. They they went eight and eight. Uh, The Raiders did. The Chiefs, guessing around that mark, maybe. Kansas City Chiefs nine and seven. All so right, two, two, yeah. two kind of middling teams. Maybe they were fighting for a playoff. Yeah, they might have been at that point. Yeah. I thought the Chiefs. I know they have a downstretch. Maybe it's coming the next year. There's definitely a downstretch in there. I know they had Derek Thomas, but still, I mean, that's a dis- that's a disappointing Nitro number. No doubt. Is that Bono? Or do they have Young? Where do they have that? <laughs> I forgot about Bono. Sonny Bono. Elvis Gerbrock, once he comes. He's around there somewhere because he ends up on the Ravens. All right, let's wrap things up. Great episode, Chad. We'll be back in two weeks, most likely. Um, We got some travel considerations that could be in the way. So either two weeks or in a month. Keep an eye on our social media. We'll be back with it's time. Uh, Subscribe on our YouTube channel. North South Connection. We're enjoying doing the video stuff for you. We're going to be doing some more bonus stuff as well. Uh, NorthSouthConnection.com has everything we do. So if you go there, you'll get the video, the audio. 
for all over social media. We get some fun stuff on TikTok. Uh, Aaron's doing some cool figure reviews and some of the preview stuff on there. So just check us out. We're across the board. We appreciate all of the love and uh, share us around. Smell the name. Yeah.